0: Key Aero, your aviation destination.
1: Historic aviation.
2: Hello, and uh, welcome to the Flypast podcast uh, for episode 24, I believe. Uh, we've assembled the entire Flypast uh, editorial team to generally shoot the breeze and have a little chit chat uh, about the aircraft that gets us all hot under the collar. Um, We will have different fields of interest and expertise, so I thought we'd make a cool podcast just to sort of discuss what would be in our dream hangar if we could afford such a thing. Um, But before we do that, let's start with some introductions. I'm James, I'm the latest addition to the uh, team as the Assistant Editor, and we're joined by John Sutheran, Editor, Tara Leggett, and Steve Beebe. Um, So before we get started, who do we go with? Do we go Ladies First or Grand Fromage? Do we go John or Tara?
3: Let's
2: not go ladies first.
1: Okay, I'll start. I'll start.
3: (laughs) Sorry, John, throw you in at the deep end.
2: (laughs) Welcome.
1: So my favourite Allied aircraft of World War II, I'd like to start by giving a special mention to the heroic Horsa glider, which is an unusual choice and wouldn't be top of my list, but I think it did such awesome service and it should get a mention. But my favourite aircraft is the de Havilland Mosquito, in its many forms. I'm just looking around to see if anyone else has picked the same one. No? Good, good. Okay, the reason <laughs> I picked this is because, I mean, it looks awesome. It's so fast. It was one of the fastest aircraft of the time, twin-engined, um, two-crew, uh, and it was really versatile, so it could do anything from pathfinding. It was a day-or-night fighter. It was a fighter-bomber. It could do maritime strikes, and it could also do photo reconnaissance. So... I mean, there was nothing it couldn't do, really, and it makes the more obvious choices, dare I say, the Spitfire look a bit like a one-trip pony. Controversial there. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, <laughs> it's fast, it's beautiful, it's versatile, and it, it looked like it had a bit of substance to it, which I think is a very British thing, although it was made of balsa wood. So um, that is my you saying choice. The Spitfire
3: didn't have any sustenance to it?
1: No, but I'm just thinking, yeah, twin engines, <laughs> bit bigger. It, it, I just think it's a thing of beauty, and I love the fact that the wings so far forward. It reminds me of the current day Osprey, which actually is a vertical takeoff aircraft, but it's got these big props right at the front, and it it just looks so cool. Mm. Shoot me down!
3: I, I won't shoot you down. I think it's a fair enough comment. Although I suspect you might get some backlash for off uh, the Spitfire.
2: I might chime in here and say, yeah, I went for the one-trick pony. I went for the Spitfire. It
3: is of an obvious choice. It yeah, is the obvious yeah. choice,
2: but what, why not be obvious? You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's such a classic, so. iconic machine, isn't it?
3: You don't have to try and be edgy like we are.
1: Yeah, as I said, I was thinking, well, actually, it could carry bombs. I mean, the Russian model on uh, the cover this month has carries bombs, which are accurately recreated, um, apart from the explosives, of course. Um, so I'm sure it did have more than just one trick, but nothing quite like the
2: awesome Mosquito. How about delivering beer to uh, squadrons yeah, in true. France, you know?
1: Well, the Mozzie could carry one passenger. I don't know what it would have been like travelling in the, in the hold, in the fuselage, but um, it probably wouldn't have been much fun. But I'm certain it could have carried some beers, yeah. So
3: it's not a one trick pony,
2: it's a pony. It's a pony. And who doesn't love ponies?
3: Exactly. Brilliant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For me, it's it's the Battle of Britain Spitfire. It's the Mark 1, you know, Mark 1A. Um, home camouflage, um, before they started putting, you know, cannons on it and changing the cockpit, um, bigger engines. It's the first generation. You know, if you're into cars or motorbikes or anything, you know the first generation is always the purest design. Before you get committees involved who want to put this, that, in the on or, you know, sticking cover lines onto your covers that you didn't want. You know how it works. So for me, it's just, it's, it's that era, you know, it's, it's iconic.
1: Yeah, it's the purest form, isn't it? So it I and mean, it's a beautiful thing, there's no doubt, uh, before it gets, like you say, reconfigured by committee.
3: Steve, you're very quiet. Are you, are well, you yes. but, sitting there pulling your hair out a bit? Well,
1: well I've no more hair um. to pull out, unfortunately. The, the, <laughs> the, the
0: years have taken that from me. But yeah, my, my choice was always <laughs> going to be the one-trick pony as well because oh, <laughs> oh not, so much, uh, uh, not, not so much one specific thing, but more about what it represents. Uh, I think it's in the, the DNA of the nation. It's, uh, it's an emotional experience. It's in? one of the few aircraft that you can genuinely say that about. It's almost the only aircraft you can say that about. But given that that's already been taken, I'm going to go with something completely left field. I'm going to say one of my favorite World War II aircraft of the Allied side is the Aleutian Il-2 Stimovic. Which is uh, obviously a a ground attack aircraft, the most produced, single most produced military aircraft design in history. It's hard to believe that, but it it is apparently true.
3: You know, when I first found that out, I didn't believe it. I was like, nah, surely Spitfires, Hurricanes, they're Mm. up there. But no, Ilyushin.
0: You'd think so. I've never seen one, but there are are a couple that have been restored to fly and they're such a... It's such a beast of a machine. It's almost the opposite of the reasons that John was praising the mosquito. It's, there's nothing particularly pretty about it. It's quite the opposite. It's <laughs> it's really enjoyably ugly, and I'd <laughs> I'd love to see you love one. to
3: hate it. Yeah,
1: I would love that to see same one with the rear facing gunner. It does have that. Yeah, some some of them yeah. do. Yeah,
0: the, the classic yeah, yeah. The, the classic profile of it has got that that <laughs> rear facing gun. Yeah. But it's, it's an interestingly ugly aeroplane, like the, the Stuka, perhaps, the Junkers 87. You could say that about that. And on the Allied side, the B 24 Liberator, which I think is sort of tends to get Ooh. forgotten because of the, the, the prevalence of the B 17. But the B 24, the, the Liberator, is a fantastic looking thing. <laughs> it doesn't look like it was designed to fly, but it sure did. Mm. But the Sturmovik was a you know, hugely important aeroplane in the very, very important conflict between uh, Germany and, and, and Russia which, uh, as we know, eventually uh, the Soviet Union prevailed in that, despite Hitler's uh, assumption they would just roll over. It really did play a crucial role on the Eastern Front and consequently a crucial role in winning World War II. So, you know, I'd go for the Spitfire every time, but you cannot overlook that thing, flying tank.
3: I can get on board with that logic.
1: I have to say, looking at it, it definitely looks to me like it's function over form. It isn't the prettiest, but you, it's, it just looks very pure, and like it's it's got a job to do, and it knows what it's going to do.
3: What Russian aircraft isn't function over form, let's be honest?
1: <gasps> well, the SU-57 looks awesome, if I can say that. <laughs> but anyway.
3: Sure. Well, guys, I... Um I feel like I'm going very left field here because actually my original first choice isn't a fighter, um, which, shock horror to most people listening because everybody knows I love my fighters. Um, But my first choice was obviously the Lancaster bomber. You didn't didn't say it had to be a jet. You didn't say it had to be a fighter. It's going to be a Lancaster bomber. I think in terms of the, the bombers of the time... It was just incredible, you know. It matched up quite well with the B seventeen. It didn't quite have the um, the performance of the B seventeen, but it had the heavier payload. It, it did the it did the it did the allies proud, I would say. And I can't believe that none of you have chosen it. I'm quite sad, actually.
1: It was second. It
0: was on my list, Tara. Uh, it was <laughs> on my top five list. Um, yeah, you
3: were all too quiet just but, then. It, uh, it makes me feel like you're. No, I had Spitfire,
0: Mustang, Lancaster, Superfortress, and Sturmovik as my five, with B-24 Honourable Mention.
3: See, my Honourable Mention was going to go to um, sort of the other, you know, uh, typical World War II um, Allied aircraft, and that was going to be the P-51. Nobody's mentioned the P-51. That was undoubtedly invaluable to, you know, the Allied victory.
0: Was the best overall fighter of
3: World War II. I was gonna say you could argue hundred percent it was gonna be the best all-round fighter. Um just, you know, matched up really well with all the bombers. Did all the escorting to, you know, the I can't think of the word now. I'm having a I'm having a mind blank.
0: It was able to, it had the range to escort <laughs> Allied bombers all the way to Germany and back.
3: There we go. That's the one. And then on top of that They were given to a personal favourite of mine, the Tuskegee Airmen, which, you know, I think is a pretty fitting aircraft to give to some of the bravest men in history. So, yeah, got to give that one an honourable mention.
1: Yeah, the P-50 fifty was on my shortlist. It's a thing of beauty again. It's on the cover of the latest issue in glimmering chrome or brushed aluminium. It looks fantastic.
2: It's It's like Sophie's Choice, isn't it? How do you pick your favourite? There's too many. It's That's why mm. the Spitfire wins for emotional reasons,
0: because yeah, it's okay. not that it's necessarily <laughs> the best fighter of World War II, but for the British point of view, it's almost part of who we are. It's I mean, you can't deny the Hawker Hurricane was much the more significant fighter in the Battle of Britain. You have to mm. give it due credit for that. Um, even with the, the few numbers of Spitfires we had at that time, we would have been lost without the Hurricane. But since then, the Spitfire went on to to be to represent something um, infinitely more significant than just one conflict or one mission or one anything, it's uh, it's almost significant.
1: Why did the hurricane? Sorry, why did the Spitfire take top spot then? What was it? That- well, unlike the hurricane, the Spitfire was uh, ripe
0: for development. So it went and on it to pretty. be produced in numerous forms, unlike the Hurricane, it was which was an older design anyway. It went on to play a significant role throughout World War II and indeed somewhat beyond there. But as Tara just said there, it was a thing of beauty as well. It's mm. unusual to have both things combining. And yeah, I mean, for something to do with the name of the airplane as well, even that, it's all rolled together to produce something that has taken on... A new life, of a life of its own, that goes beyond pure history and beyond pure aviation to represent something that is uh, in the ether and is is, 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 is yeah, part of part of aviation history and, and who we are. It kind of, it's kind of come to represent freedom, I suppose. That's that's what it is.
3: That's that's a that's a big thing as well, isn't it? And we've spoken before on the Flypast podcast about like you know the Spitfire Fund and and people thought that they could or like they, they felt because they could get involved with. With the war, by you know, donating to the Spitfire Fund and raising money, and it was just it, it felt, I suppose, a bit more involving to the to the general, like civilian, um, as opposed to oh, they let them do their job on the front line and we'll we'll watch them fly over our heads every now and again. They felt like they were actually you know um, contributing something to the war effort, which I think was 100% a hundred percent a massive. It must have yep. been a massive. um thing to feel like you were involved in Um, and that was you know all revolved around the Spitfire so
1: of course the Spitfire was a bit slow wasn't it compared to the Mosquito of course 1941 trials the Mosquito flew higher and faster (laughs) the next year they put new engines in it the Merlin 61 engines and it went even faster so you know if we're in a race if it comes down to pure speed you know the Mosquito still has it you
2: can Uh, take the boy out of max
0: power can't you yeah (laughs) (laughs) thing is, though, we're not actually having a race.
3: No, <laughs>
2: no, I'll give you that. This is
3: like top Trumps, isn't it? It's like who comes out on top, like top Trump. Brilliant.
1: So beer to the troops. Just explain that comment earlier. Was that, did that have some relevance?
3: The, the spit yeah, the Spitfire used to take beer to the troops in France. Um, instead of, obviously, where the... Um, machine guns or whatever would be they'd have little barrels i say little but they'd have barrels of um, of beer under the wing
2: yeah exactly oh, where the, where okay. the, on the on the rushing spit for where the bombs are now took a couple of beer okay. kegs and then deliver it to the troops
1: see if i'd known that i'd have put it in my number 1 there yeah, we go <laughs>
3: go keep that, that morale up <laughs> there was we'll a,
1: there was a captured uh Junkers
0: 87 Stuka that the allies captured that they used largely to transport alcohol from
1: place to place excellent <laughs> So I think we're agreed.
2: That kind of leads us nicely on to, like, what would you be your favourite German aircraft or Axis aircraft? For
1: go for I go first again? I'll go first. Okay. So um, it's a plane that I think James, or was it Stu- uh, Steve, called Interestingly Ugly. My favourite Axis aircraft is the JU-87 Stuka Sturzkampflugzeug. Um Why? It just is evil incarnate to me. If you... Created a villain. It would look a villainous aircraft. It would look like the Stuka with you know its its inverted gull wings, and it's it's obviously didn't have a, a retracting undercarriage, so the wheels were always down, and it had those amazing aerodynamic flares on them. And then of course it had the Jericho trumpet, the siren when it went into a dive, which was it just uh, for me it's it's villainy incarnate, and uh, that's why I would make it my number one. Evil Axis aircraft.
0: Yeah, okay. good point. And that uh, <laughs> that awful noise it made was there purely to inspire fear. <laughs> so that that kind of sums that one up. And um, if I'm gonna go for a favourite, that that's on my shortlist for sure, for the same reasons. But um my favourite uh Luftwaffe fighter of World War II is the Fokker Wolf FW190 which was probably their most formidable fighter of the war, uh, certainly um, propeller-driven fighter of the war. And for a while, it handed air superiority back to the Luftwaffe. The Bf 109 had been um, developed heavily since the Spanish Civil War, and it was still a very potent machine almost to the end of the war. But the 190 was, um, it took it somewhere else again. And you've got to look at the thing. It is an incredible-looking aeroplane. It looks evil. No, I'm not going to say evil. It looks formidable and potent, and it it truly was. When they started to come in to use sort of late 1941, they were pretty much superior to the contemporary Spitfire at the time. That was the Mark V. And so when the RAF was starting to fly over France, they were encountering these things and they were finding them very hard to deal with. It wasn't until the introduction of the, the Spitfire Mark IX that uh, some sort of parity um, was, was restored. So the 190 is a great-looking um, machine. Uh, it flew in the eastern front as well. It was the mount of many, many aces. And I particularly like the, <laughs> the, the long one that they, uh, that they um, developed later in the war, kind of a stretched fuselage, a sort of high-altitude alt- high interceptor. Uh, I think it was called the TA152 I could be wrong about that but it was uh, uh, that was an incredible looking machine as well I'd never seen one I've never even seen one of the the reproductions that have been made in the in the last several years and either uh, that remains an unfulfilled ambition so yeah the focke Wolf 190 that's my choice
2: a good choice
3: it's a good one what about you James
2: uh well, I always to go for the uh, Stuka as well because I kind of think it looks like a really angry crow and I I think that anyone who <laughs> Anyone who wants to put a siren on something just to instill terror, they know what they're doing, don't they? Um, So my other one, I think I would go for the Junkers 88, just because I think that also looks pretty mean, and it was used for so many different roles throughout the war, a reconnaissance, bomber, you know, it it was everywhere, wasn't it? And it's just one of those aircraft that I'd love to see in the sky again, but chances of that happening, slim to none, I'd have thought.
3: Yeah, fair play. I don't think I think mine's similar to yours in the sense of it had so many different roles. Um, but I don't know if you're gonna tell me I'm cheating here because it, it wasn't uh fully operational throughout the whole of the war. Um, but it was the ME two six two.
1: That was my second choice. My oh, second okay, good, choice, yeah. Good.
3: Thing of <laughs> absolutely. A hundred percent. That was my thought process around it. It was just an absolutely beautiful thing to look at. Um obviously not if you're um facing it down the barrel of the gun. But um, beautiful thing to look at. First operational jet fighter sort of ever, you know, and over in England, we had obviously the Gloucester Meteor. It was just, we were never going to match up to the 262. Um, What was it? It was fighter, uh, reconnaissance, everything. Um, So, yeah, I think that I don't really have much to say on it other than I like it.
0: Well, it's speed, of course, with the time was utterly phenomenal and the well, Allies yeah. probably wondered what on earth were they looking at? And I think uh, the great uh, Adolf Galland, who flew them, he described it something on the terms of it was like being lifted or pushed by angels or something like that. That's how he described oh the, the experience of the, the sheer power
2: and speed of the thing. I'm not a fan, I have to say. I kind of think it looks like an angry trout. What,
3: what, what, angry trout? Angry crow? Are you okay? Do you need to be on a, I <laughs> have a to wildlife? Sort of
2: like everything <laughs> to something, but I just know. And for <laughs> me, it marks the end of the, like the golden era of airplanes. Just then, was moving over to jet age, aren't we? And I don't know. Once you start taking propellers off, it kind of loses something. For me, definitely, anyway.
3: Definitely, I think it was all. It was always going to be. Um, I think you can always say that the first generation of any type of aircraft is pretty damn ugly. But my choice, I'm going with it. Rolling with it.
1: You
3: was it the first <laughs> jet
1: engine military aircraft operational? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 1942. Yeah, that's astounding. I mean, really. Frank Whittle
0: is credited with inventing the jet engine, but the first actual aircraft to fly in World War II with jet engine was jet engines was the uh, the Me two six
1: two. And how fast was it? Did how much, was it that much quicker than a prop? In short bursts, it was much quicker.
0: Yes, um, wasn't necessarily the most manoeuvrable thing. Uh, they were quite vulnerable, on, as I understand it, when they were on approach because they had to approach uh, quite uh, quite slowly and sedately, and then they could be picked off by by Spitfires or Mustangs. And I believe they had a pretty short endurance, as you might imagine, for for what was then brand new and uh, brand new technology. And of course, at that stage in the war, Germany were kind of rushing to produce things in somewhat in desperation. They were trying all sorts of things. So uh, it's possible that it came into service a little bit too soon. But nevertheless, ahead of its day, formidable, a sign of
2: things to come. So what does everyone think about jets? Does everyone love a jet or, you know, everyone got a favorite?
3: I do, but it's, I don't know if you'd feature it in Flypast, actually, because it only retired in 2003. So um, can anybody I guess? I know where you're going with this one. Go for it.
2: Are we going Top Gun?
1: I'm going F-14, I reckon.
3: Harrier <laughs> Jump Jet.
2: Oh, right. Harrier yeah. Jump
3: Jet. Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Don't you think? okay yeah right, Asta-
2: astounding
1: technology <laughs> astounding when you think just recently that just this week they sent qe off on the, the new aircraft carrier off with the f-35 on board and it's taken all these years to create another vertical takeoff jet and now they cost you know the best part of 100 million and you think the harrier was doing that well early tests i think were in the kind of late 1960s is that right sometime around mm-hmm. then you know 50 years ago and we barely moved on and that you know, it's, it's astonishing what the, what the Harrier could do.
3: See, beautiful. I, I, for me, I always sort of, I wouldn't say I go for the look of the aircraft. I'm not, you know, shallow. Um, but it is, it is something that I regard quite highly. Um, if an aircraft's ugly, I'm kind of a bit like, you know, uh, and many people would say that the Harrier is ugly, but I think it's a thing of beauty. And, the people that crash on the A1 when they go past it, the gate, guarding, gate guardian at Wittering, would also concur. So, well,
1: it was certainly eye-catching. The ambulance. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Paramedics.
1: <laughs> that was a really beautiful harrier, yeah. Cool. Uh, so we're on jet aircraft. Shall I throw my favourite in? I'm not, Again, I'm not sure if it's too new for the magazine itself, but I think it's all right. I'm going to go for the Lockheed Skunk Works. SR seventy one Blackbird,
2: A good choice. Am I allowed
1: that? Yeah, is yeah, that I too know. new or is that okay? Hundred percent allowed that. Oh, because Steve has also
3: chosen it. I bet I've,
0: oh, I've, that's that. coming later. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I've got something
1: else. But go on. Why the Blackbird, John? Okay. Well, I mean, when you say the Harry looks good, I mean it's like the ugly, ugly sister of the SR seventy one, which is just perfection i will say you know it's again 50 odd years old the design and never been bettered so much so that it's used in marvel movies these days as a futuristic aircraft
3: hear me out here yeah. do you not think if the sr-71 was painted in a like bright green color it looks like something out of thunderbirds
1: yeah yeah it does look a bit like the, and it was probably uh, thunderbirds was from the mid-60s so maybe it was based on that yeah who knows
3: I don't know.
1: I, th- I think it's a bit comical looking. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was fast. So if it was Mac, over Mach 3. It could fly at 85,000 feet. You know, if people launched a missile at it, they didn't bother like putting flares out or anything. They just put their foot down and they left it for dead. It was just such awesome technology. You know, it was semi stealth, I think it's fair to describe it back in the day, at least sort of low radar cross section. Uh, it just looked so amazing.
0: I was always struck by um, you'd see the pilots getting out of the cockpit of the sr71 and they looked like astronauts. It looked like something Absolutely. that had been it, was, it had been so high in such high altitude that they were virtually astronauts they were on the brink of of brink of space and I think it, 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 it I don't want to say too much about it because it's not my choice I've got something else but it, it looks like you know Darth Vader's personal aircraft or something like that. It's just an, an incredible mm. feat of engineering.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. I was just reading up on it, and apparently uh, the, the front windscreen would reach 600 degrees Fahrenheit in flight. So they, they cooled it by pumping fuel, basically the fuel around it to take the heat away. Is that not dangerous? Well, you would think so, wouldn't you? But what's probably more dangerous is that it leaked. It was actually designed in that it leaked fuel when it was on the ground or flying slowly because until the panels heated Mm. up at high-speed flight and expanded, they didn't seal. So you'll see a lot of pictures, um, particularly photographs, where it was obviously flying quite slowly so that the photo craft could shoot it. And you can see the fuel streaming off the wings. It's uh, yeah. yeah. So it was sort of a flawed genius, but uh, nonetheless, by far, probably the greatest aircraft ever built.
3: You've you've argued your point well.
1: Yeah, I, I concur with the
0: choices, but I'm going to go with something which again is more for emotional reasons. It's the Vulcan, the Avro Vulcan. Um, oh, no. What yes. can you say? An incredible looking machine. <laughs> Never been anything quite like it before and um,
3: this was coming up this was my this is another one of mine coming up well but then it, again it, everybody knows it
0: can arrive now <laughs> it, was, it, it needs
3: to just arrive all the time if it's only it did just the most but thanks to the exactly
0: thanks to the sterling efforts of the great late robert plenning and all his wonderful team um we had eight years of that incredible aircraft flying at uh, yeah. a, a British air shows so We had no right to expect that. It was a hugely complex machine, long since retired. Can't imagine anyone doing it now, but there you go. They did it. Whenever it flew at an air show, it was guaranteed. You were guaranteed to have huge crowds. Everyone generally just stood up as soon as it was coming in. It was like, mm. oh, I don't know. It was like a rock star of the air or something. And yes, it, did, it does have an interesting history, the... the um, the the its use in the falklands campaign etc but uh, above and beyond that there's just something intrinsic and emotional about 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 it the noise it makes the way it looks yeah, it's definitely. part of aviation dna i know i've used the phrase before but um, you just feel privileged to have um, to have witnessed it really so that's my See, choice See i
3: was going i i 110% agree with you on that steve but I was going to put that as, well, everybody that listens to the Fly Pass podcast knows that the Vulcan is my all-time favorite airplane. So that was going to be my answer to that question because I knew that James wanted to answer, ask me that or ask us that. Um, but can I just say, I'm apparently that well-known to the people that listen to this podcast that somebody uh, replied to a tweet yesterday asking if I'd painted my uh, shed in the Vulcan uh, library, um, but because we had a, uh, a reader that submitted that. Someone thought it was me.
0: <laughs> and it's not. Somehow. So can we confirm it's not. it's not you, right?
3: It is not
0: me. I assumed it was too. I
3: wish... I wish, oh. but I don't have a garden yet.
0: Well, that no? yeah, that would rule you out. In fairness, yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I live in a flat. Okay. I wish I'll paint my flat in the Vulcan Library.
1: So, but, um... <laughs> who, who actually flew the Vulcan? Which which forces flew it, or was it just the RAF? It's just us. Yeah, it's
0: RAF just just us. Yeah, yeah. Originally designed as a, a nuclear a nuclear bomber or a nuclear deterrent, and then it had a second life. Um, Used in the Falklands. Uh, it, it was, I mean, you could argue it was out of date by then, but it, it, it served well in the Falklands, uh, bombing the, um, the, the runways at Port Stanley. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it, it fulfilled its remit and then some. Excellent. Mm. Good choice.
2: Can't argue with any of those choices so far, can we?
3: I don't know. John sounds like he's going to try pretty hard to argue with the Harrier once we come <laughs> off this call, but I will prepare. Yeah.
1: No, it's a hero. It's a hero aircraft <laughs> for sure.
2: Uh, I think for my choice I'd go really old school I'd go for a vampire just Ooh. because what? no I mean, just because
3: no. It, no 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 I'm saying that's a, that's a good choice good. it's a good choice that I wouldn't have thought of
2: I mean for me that that's kind of like it's a crossover period again it's, it's still very much second world war sort of style aircraft it, it's tiny you know before fighters got massive um, mm. I don't know just something about it and I think it was in one of my favourite films, but it. it was in the sound barrier and they fly down to Egypt in it. And I just remember hearing it on the runway and it was like the, the noise that was a, a goblin engine. And you know, being able to see what a goblin engine for me is kind of a, a big selling point. Um, hmm. I just love it. You know, For me, it, it just encapsulates like the last of the, the cool fighters for me, I think, before we get too modern. That's kind of like my cutoff point.
3: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, It's, not, it's one of these ones before that I've sort of overlooked when I say I've not really got much to say about it, it is it is quite overlooked, I think, um, because it's not your SR-71 or your Vulcan or... Do you know what I mean? And it's it was in that transition period sort of between World War Two and Cold War era, I guess. Yeah, uh, a very
2: small span, I it, suppose, isn't it?
3: Well, exactly, yeah. So when I say, like, you know, oh, I've not really got much to say about it, it's because it's a bit like, oh, well... It, when you when you think of it on the face of things, it was a it was an incredible aircraft, but it sort of came at the wrong time or the right time, depending on how you look at it.
1: I'll just say two words on it: part spin. It looks to me <laughs> like somebody said, "We've got to build an aircraft this afternoon." What have we got? And they've gone. Oh well, look, we've got the tail off this and the wings off that and the fuselage off this, and they just stuck it together. It's
3: Heinz fifty seven, John.
1: Yeah, it's quite it's <laughs> it's ugly, you <yeah. laughs> know. It's like a mutt in a dog shelter, you know. It's not. It might be a great aircraft, but it doesn't look very good at all.
2: Oh, I don't know. Beauty in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I do like a twin boom. And I don't know, just for me, it's the tiny dimensions. And it's vampire, you know. It sounds scary, even though it's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, good name. I'll give it a good name.
2: And also, it's from that era when the British aircraft industry were just churning out so many different aeroplanes, and then there was no need for them, really, was there?
3: No, I think, and that's that's sort of my point as well. It's a bit like it was almost redundant, not redundant uh, exactly, but it was one of these things that was just a bit right thing, wrong time.
2: Well, I think that's all we've got time for uh, today. I think we will uh, continue this conversation uh, offline, and uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about it another time. But uh, thank you very much for joining us. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.